listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. As an organization, we have to know what we're good at and what we're not good at before we approach doing certain tasks or certain objectives. Because if we don't know, if we're not transparent and honest and humble about what we're not good at, then we'll pursue things that we probably shouldn't have pursued, but that there's people out there that can do it better. But if we know what we're good at, we leverage our strengths to lift something really heavy. So just like a personal strength and a personal weakness, an organization has the same thing. So today we're going to talk about the goal setting process, some of the ways in which we go about doing it. And we're also going to talk about the advantages of goal setting and some of the disadvantages of goal setting. And we're also going to talk about the planning process. How do we start the planning process? What does that look like? And how are we going to effectively monitor whether or not we're achieving our goals through the planning process. And let me just ask a general question. When you think about goal setting and planning, does that excite you? Be honest. That it can be stressful. It's, it's expectation. It's once it's there, it's there. And then I actually have to take the action to do it. Sometimes it's easier to be passive or sometimes it's easier just to, if, if I feel like doing something, I'll do it. If I don't feel like doing something, I'm not going to do it. But I, I would encourage you to listen to the Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And it, it talks about why this goal setting process is important. With goals, formulating a plan, and just the goal of being a good son or a good daughter or a good husband or father, these are things that we can set in motion just by going through the process of goal setting. And when we put them down on a piece of paper and when we put specificity to it, when we make them specific, it, it tends to influence our behavior, which is pretty amazing. And we're going to learn how to do that. But uh, some of the content that I'll share and some of the passion I'll share along with it really comes from my own personal experience learning how to set goals and develop a plan around them and achieve them. Truly, in essence, try to move towards this ladder of success through goal setting. So what is a goal and why is it important? And don't say it's when you kick a ball into a net. Achievements, and we'll just say personal, growth. So if you say a goal is growth, does that make sense? Okay, so a goal is what? Is a goal is a destination to demonstrate growth, something like that, right? So is a goal growth? But a goal is a future vision of what growth looks like. Growth is a byproduct of goals. How do we say that differently? Goal assists with growth. I mean, growth is a key, it's a key phrase, for sure. A goal is an objective. A goal is a destination. Okay, so we have some idea of what a goal is. A goal is a personal achievement. It assists with growth. It's an objective. It's a destination. A goal helps us keep moving forward. It provides us with a trajectory, an encouragement, a, some fuel. A goal is motivation. My goal is to lose 10 pounds by this weekend. Is it specific? Yeah. Is it measurable? Yeah. Is it attainable? Yeah. Is it timely? Yeah. But this is specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Smart goals. Not just saying, I'd like to lose weight. No, I'd like to do exactly this. 
before this time period at this amount. Characteristics of effective goals are linked to rewards, have a defined period of time, are challenging but realistic, cover key result areas, and are measurable and specific. That's SMART goals. Now let's talk about why they're important for management. What, what are we managing? We're managing goals, right? <laughs> Organizational goals in order to attain them. Starting off with planning and being a good goal setter is the foundation of management. What are we managing unless there's a, a desired future state, a goal? And how, and how we're going to get there is really the process of management. Any other reasons why goals are important for management? They help us determine what we're managing. They help us understand and put some level of specificity, measurability, achievability, reachable, and a timeliness. They give some, some frame, some methodology in which we move this organization forward or a team setting goals for management. We want to grow. We want to get better. So in order to get better, we have to say, where are we now? What are we going to do? And where are we going to go? Who, who were we? Who are we now? Where are we going? It's just kind of a trajectory understanding. Goals are a major part of that. How should we go about the planning process? You now have a goal. But once we have the goals, once we understand what these 10 major goals are, and we know that they're specific, measurable, attainable, uh, reachable, and timely, we, they're good goals. Now we move into planning. Goals come before planning. How should we go about the process of planning? My father would always say the end is determined in the beginning. Meaning if you have a good plan and you could demonstrate the plan well to the prospective client or to your team, then you're determining a large portion of the success of this project in the very beginning. And he would also say if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Typically, the execution of the plan was sound when, when it came to actually doing the event and having the food and the hot dogs and the hamburger ready and the people happy, hungry, and full stomachs, it worked. So what does that planning process look like from an organizational perspective? We'll just say break down the goals. That's a great way to start the planning process. And when we break them down, we can see, are they short-term? Are they long-term? We can set deadlines. We can assign responsibility to the goals. We could allocate resources to achieve the goals. We can see if the goals are a stretch goal or a basic goal. We can get feedback on the goals. That's all a part of breaking the goal down. How else should we go about the planning process? What does a plan look like? Steps. What is time? It's a resource, right? What else is a resource? Time, money, labor, assets, real estate, equipment, trademarks, patents, brand. These are really resources we can use to help us achieve our goals and in the planning process, we can look through what resources do we have and how we're going to use these resources to achieve our goals. You think about what it is you're going to do and you have to know how to do it. Communicating our plan and articulating what it looks like to be successful and figuring out ways to control and measure along the way, these KPIs, to say, okay, here are our goals. We broke them down. Now we've created a plan around these goals. Now we've created these, these ways in which we're going to assign these different responsibilities. We're clearly communicating what these goals are, what the plan is. And in addition, we're putting these parameters in saying, okay, by this time, we hope to achieve this amount of sales growth or this amount of profitability or sell this amount of inventory. And then there's a monitoring process to see, are we achieving our plan? And then hopefully we also have a process that if we're not doing it right, we go back and we reorganize our plan. 
we reallocate resources or potentially adjust our goals if we have to. Typically, once goals are set, and we'll talk about this from like a strategic management level and a middle management level, and then also sort of an operational frontline level, these big goals up here that are set, they're not going to change. So our job is to figure out the ways in which we're going to go about attaining them. And we can be more flexible with that. The planning process is more pliable. It's, it's easier to change. The, goal, the goals, once they're set for the year, the quarter, you know, we, we gotta, we're either going to get them or we're not going to get them. But they're harder to, to go and change. You hear a lot of people that work in, in corporate America work for big companies or maybe for philanthropic companies that they say our goal this year is to raise $500 million, whatever that looks like. Once that goal is pushed down from corporate and from the strategy, department, they can't just be like, oh, you know what? I, th I think we should change that goal. No. How we go about attaining those results is a little bit more flexible. And that's the plan. And if I asked you all, what is your definition of success? What's your definition of success? How do you know what that result is that you wanted? Our ability to be successful hinges on our ability to set and achieve goals. So if you really think about it, success is me saying, I want to do this by this time and me attaining that goal. And then once I attain that goal, I set new goals because once we achieve a destination, there's always a future destination. So success is fleeting. I thought I'd be successful when I got married. I got married and it wasn't enough. I thought I'd be successful when I became a president of an organization and the president of the organization. Then I have to set new goals. I thought I'd be successful when I got a doctoral degree. I got a doctoral degree. Now there's new goals. So there's constantly this flow of, okay, we have to redefine success. So the, the essence of success, according to Earl Nightingale, and I tend to agree with it, is our ability to set and achieve our own goals. That's success. And the more we can do that and the better we can do that and the more ambitious our goals are and the more we, we see, okay, if I set a goal and I can design a plan around achieving this goal and then I achieve the goal, wow, let me do that again. And I promise you, if you experiment with these concepts of, and I'll, I'll show you some exam examples of goals, it works if you take it seriously. And you do the actions required in the plan to achieve your goal. And we'll talk about the difference in goal setting, vision casting, mission, strategic planning. And then we have this thing called execution, <laughs> which is a whole nother side of the brain. And some people with the execution side, they're like, eh, I just executed on goal setting and planning. That's my form of execution. Now to actually do the operational things that fall and coincide with the plan and the goals, that's somebody else's job. There's a sort of a different way of thinking that implementing the the actions to achieve the goals. I'll tell you when implementing is fun is when you have the resources. <laughs> so if I, if I told you that part of our goal was to, if we had 100 painters in the field and they were split up into, say, five different teams, and our goal was to implement a software to organize them in the field so that they know what work order they have, they know how much time they have, they have all the information on their PDA device. And I told you that you have $10 million to find and implement whatever software you want. That'd be fun to execute on that project, wouldn't it? You build a team of people, you can, invest, you can research and investigate what softwares would be fun to use. You can trial and demo some of these softwares. You're owning, a, you're managing a $10 million fund, essentially, to implement a goal and execute it. 
that's exciting. But even when you contract somebody else, you still have to work with them. You still have to manage their process. You still have to give them access to the information. It's not just, oh, I'm going to hire you and then I'm going to leave. Uh, this is you, the company that you manage. This is your team. Those, those painters out in the field, they don't know this subcontract of people that you hired. I mean, there's positives and negatives to both. That's sort of a subcontract in-house or out-of-house conversation. But it could be more costly. And if I told you, if I gave you an incentive and said that if you have money left over and that $10 million, you can use it to do, do the next project, you might choose to use your resources differently. That goals should be tied to an incentive. Shouldn't they? If you have a goal and I gave you a goal, it's not really your goal, but you work in the organization that I manage and I need you to help me, help us attain this goal. Would it be right for me to say, hey, here's your goal. I want you to strip all the black off of that pen and I want you to do it in 30 minutes. You're going to be like, no, thank you. <laughs> but what if I told you that if you did that, then you can go home and I'll buy you dinner. So there's, a, there's an incentive behind the goal where somebody's going to say, well, I care about the goal because there's, there's something in it for me. And it doesn't always have to be the case. It could be a social goal if I say, hey, help me you know, um, take care of these dogs that are missing their legs and um, they're really sad and we see them right there and we're walking down the street and we see each other and we see the dogs. It's like, hey, let's work together to do this. And it's a collaborative, mutual goal. So sometimes there's situations where you shouldn't have to incentivize a person, that's what I'm trying to say, to accomplish a goal. The goal should be more of a communal goal, value sharing goal. But there are goals that need a little bit of incentive because they're like scraping the black off of his pen is, is tedious, annoying, not fun. Everyone wants to do it. So they work for the incentive, not really for the goal. Goal is different than plan. Goal plus plan equals planning. The goal is the desired future circumstance or condition. A plan is a blueprint for the goal achievement, specifying the necessary allocation, schedules, tasks, and other things. And then the planning process is using both of them. The goal and the plan equals planning. So when I asked the question, how do we go about the planning process? One of the things that I was hoping that we could explore on is, um, and I was waiting to see it, is that we have to get people together and we have to ask questions. We would think that it would be a collaborative effort to set goals. So the first thing is we do is we develop a plan. Second thing we do is translate the plan. Third is plan operations, fourth is perform management, and then the fifth is monitor and So this is the, the process of organizational planning. You develop it, you go through this planning process, you set the goals, now you have a plan. In order to implement the plan, you have to communicate it to the people that are on your team, or at least the people who haven't been a part of this process. And then you operate, define operational goals and plans, select measures and targets, then you, you do performance management, then you monitor and learn. The entire management process in this process that say I'm the CEO of a chocolate company and we manufacture, say, Hershey chocolate. Uh, if I'm the CEO, I can very easily set all the goals for my organization and then just push them down the line. Is that the right way to do it, though? So the planning process is really the process of getting people together, looking at the goals, looking at the plan, and coming up with that together. So goal plus plan equals plan. And now we're, we're getting into this mindset, and I want you to think about yourself, again, as the CEO of Hershey chocolate. As a CEO of Hershey Chocolate, you got a major task ahead of you. You have to, we have to, or I'll just say you have to because you're the CEO. I'm not. I'm on your team. You have to come up with a plan to make this organization work. There's responsibility on your shoulders. There's people looking to you for a vision. And one of the key things that we have to do before we set goals and develop a plan is we have to, we have to understand our mission. 
what is it that we're doing here in this organization that's worthwhile, that's purposeful? It's our purpose. It's our, it's our mission. It's, it's what we are here to do. What is the purpose of our organization? That's first. And the nice part about mission is it trumps everything else. If the goals don't fall in line with the mission, the goals don't make sense. The mission is like a, when you look into a telescope and you're trying to look at the stars, the, the mission is what you're looking through. And the, the picture that you see is this major picture of this massive universe, but the, everything is seen through that mission. So it's the beginning focal point of the entire operation. That's the mission. From there, you can set strategic goals, plan, senior management, organize as a whole. We, as a company, have a mission. Our mission here at Hershey Chocolate is to provide the most delicious chocolate snacks to put smiles on faces of people all over the world. That's our mission. That's what we're here for. That's our purpose. Put smiles on people's face through chocolate. Cool, you're on board? Okay, great. How are we going to do this strategically? Aren't there a lot of other chocolate companies out there doing the same thing? It's not easy to you know, provide the best chocolate to people all over the world. It's, it's a little bit interesting. So we're going to have a unique strategy to go about doing it. There's companies that have, like Legos, has a great mission statement. Inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow. Powerful, right? It can be short or it can be long. It says our ultimate purpose is to inspire and develop children to think creatively, reason systematically, and release their potential to shape their own future experience and endless human possibility. Mission does it. It inspires people to, to move forward. We're going to go to the moon. This is our mission. A fun story about how I think a different president was walking through NASA and he was asking the people, the engineer, the lead engineer at NASA to say, what are you doing here? He says, well, I'm putting people on the moon. He says, wow, that's great. You know, keep doing what you're doing. And he's walking down the hallway and he sees a janitor cleaning the floor. And he says, janitor, what's your, what's your purpose here? He said, well, I'm putting people on the moon. <laughs> Aren't we all doing the same thing? Like we're all a part of this building. I, whether I'm cleaning the floor or engineering a space shuttle, I'm on a mission to put people on the moon. And the, that, that's what leadership, mission-focused leadership does. It gets every single person on the same mission. So that, that's powerful. And that has a lot to do with the planning process. If I told you your mission was to write 15 letters a day to the Department of Corrections explaining why the, you know, the juice boxes in the penitentiary are not big enough, and that's your mission. And every day you say, well, I forget my mission. I feel like I'm just writing useless letters that I have no idea where they go. And eventually people won't remember what I just said because it's too long, it's not inspirational, and it's freaking boring. At least I said, at least there was a mission. How about some organizations that you walk in, you have no idea what you're doing? And you, you see people moving around and you're, you're given this load of work every day and they tell you what to do and they pay you, which is great, but you're not really sure you know, what you're doing. <laughs> There's no mission. There's no collective effort to go and achieve something together. So that's why missions are really important for goals. And strategy is a chess game. There's a lot of movies, war movies in particular, about strategy. The only war that the United States really has ever lost out of all the wars we fought is the Vietnam War. We didn't do well in Vietnam. Some would say we lost that war. And it had a lot to do with the guerrilla tactics that the Vietnamese people used to combat us. Strategically, what they did is utilize these, these strategies of guerrilla warfare, crazy stuff that they did, hiding in trees, attacking at weird hours of the night, 
constantly throwing the American massive army that's mobilized and these big units totally off its plan. Their strategy was to shake our strategy and they did it effectively. And another enemy that did something similar was in Afghanistan is a book called Team of Teams by General McChrystal. And he talked about these invasions when they first went into Afghanistan and they weren't effective because the tanks and the, the armies and the, the mobilization of our forces, it was clear to run three or four different raids a day. They, they knew most of the time the intelligence of the Afghanistan and, and the um, Al-Qaeda were, were prepared for these attacks because they'll figure it out. They can see there's some action over here. They have spies. They figure it out. We were ill-effective for a year straight. And McChrystal completely changed up the game. And if you read the book, Team of Teams, he created these very small, uh, strategic, very autonomous teams of soldiers that literally could go and attack whenever they want. And he mandated that they run at least 50 to 100 raids a day. And they were done ran at random times, random hours. They were done in succession. And that they combated the certainty of the United States force of, of, of armies into a more scattered approach. So his strategy was to meet the strategy of the competitors. And it worked. In World War II, the beaches of Normandy, one of the strategies that we used to make the enemy think that we were going somewhere else in World War II, we actually used inflatable kites, like these huge fake planes and fake ships that looked like it was an army coming and approaching a different city, some other place. And they, all of their intelligence saw this and they mobilized at a, at a different point. So the only reason why we were able to get into Germany to begin with, we're into Europe, was through Normandy on the beach. And it was done extremely strategically. So they had to think through these plans and not to spend too much time on strategy, but once we have the mission, we're going to defeat the German army because they're doing bad things over there in Europe. Now the next question is how are we gonna do it? Strategy. So you know that the soldiers on the front line are not sitting in their strategy meeting. They're getting orders and they're saying, sir, yes, sir. But the people in their strategy meetings, businesses are made and they fail based on strategy. It's very important. <laughs> so let me give you some context in business with strategy. Did you, you know that Facebook bought WhatsApp, right? That's a, a different, different from what they were doing. It's, it's called diversification. They, their social media platform with a, a younger age of people, they're making sure that they have their hands in multiple different pots. WhatsApp is very popular, especially in different countries. They purchased it at a great time. And that's just a, a show of strategy. If you think about Ikea, you know the store over here? Their strategy is not the best furniture in the world. It's box furniture that you put together. It's easy to put together. There's straightforward instructions. And it's cheaper than most furniture. College students or people that don't want to spend $10,000 on new furniture for a new rental house can spend $3,000 at Ikea and get furniture in the entire place. The point is that is their unique strategy to compete with rooms to go and city furniture and these big furniture outlets where you go in and there's a nice showroom and they deliver the furniture and it's, it's, it's ready, to, ready to go. I mean, it's a different strategy. How about when Apple decided to make the iTunes store and one of their biggest strategies was to commercialize MP3 music, audio done through files as opposed to CDs. Major strategy. And they, they, the store of iTunes or iTunes became the new store of, for all of music, putting 
big box CD stores out of business. That was a strategic move that did phenomenal things for the company of Apple. I mean, Apple would be a different company today if they didn't initiate iTunes and they didn't dump resources into iTunes and didn't have some strategic plan with the team and execute on it called the iTunes store and partner with some of these artists and whatnot and demonstrate a vision of the future of music. Huge strategic move. I can keep going on and on, but we'll stop there. So once you have the mission, the, the little lens that you're looking through all the time, it all depends on strategy. Now you have the tactical goals. Let's go back to our example of the chocolate place. What would be some tactical goals that Hershey Chocolate would use to accomplish its mission? Think tactic and not strategy. Marketing, being able to put marketing ads on TVs. That's tactically putting stuff out there. That's a move to try to get the, the chocolate out there. That's a good one. Like now that you know the plan and the strategy, now, now move. That's the tactic. Produce the chocolate, manufacture the chocolate, set up a manufacturing facility in places that are close to customers, buy a machine that makes really good chocolate, Where you package the chocolate, hire staff members, pay staff members, look at purchasing patterns. Now this is execution. It's tactical stuff. I saw Creed 3 the other night. He was older. He was somewhat out of shape. He had lots of concussions. He had been three years out of boxing. And he was about to fight somebody that was bigger than him in better shape than him and had been boxing in prison for many, many years. And so he had to tactically do things different than he did in the past. So he had to utilize his speed. He had to uh, you know, train differently. His lung capacity had to be different. So he would execute in his training tactics in order to accomplish his mission of winning the fight. And the coach would come up with a strategic plan and he'd have to execute on the training. So now he's got to train. He's got to train differently and he's got to execute on the tactics in the boxing match that he practiced in his training. If you think tactical, you think like, all right, you know, do I, do I do the left hook or do I do the right hook? Is, it, is this particular opponent more susceptible to the uppercut or is he more susceptible to like defensive play? Like, those, are, those are tactics. And in management and in business, those are things that we execute on. And think about some ways in business that we can execute on tactics. Uber is a platform company. It's always, but they, they, their tactic was not to build or, or buy cars. Their tactic was to 1099 and onboard drivers and not own any assets, only own a platform to communicate drivers and uh, people who need rides. When they executed on the tactic, they would, they would execute differently for the drivers to market to the drivers as they would the people who needed the ride. It was a executing, execution tactic that nobody's ever seen in the taxi cab industry. Uh, if you think about Walmart, when they first started getting really popular, they started building these things called super centers. And they, they built real estate, very different than Uber. And that was their strategy that we were going to go to places where, uh, not in the middle of cities, but small towns, and they were going to come there and shop at Walmart for everything. And they built, their tactic was building facilities. Think of tactic as execution and think of strategy as a plan, a, a chess game on the way in which you're going to execute. Yeah. So strategy would take into consideration your competitors, your external environment, opportunities, threats, like those are the SWOT analysis type things mm -hmm. that we incorporate into our strategy. And then execution would be, okay, now that we have this strategic plan, what are the tactics we're going to use to execute on the plan? So hire 200 people, split them up into teams of 10, you got 20 teams, send them to 12 different countries or 20 different countries and have them build Walmart super centers. 
That's a tactic. Like the, the execution. Of it. Place a phone call and you say, dear Mr. Real Estate Owner, I'm wiring you $2 million because I'm purchasing this, this building. And then once you purchase the building, you go there, you paint the building, and then you sit in a chair in the building and you put up a sign that says, we're hiring, and you hire 10 people. That's the tactic. Like now you're executing on it. You got these major warships, like these battleships, huge investments. Pearl Harbor, imagine this. They're sitting there waiting for strategy and orders. Once they receive it, guess what? It's game on. We're going. We're fueling up this battleship. We're putting people on it, and we're going to battle. And when we land, we're battling. That's tactics. Strategy is, all right, well, are we going to go out of Pearl Harbor? You know, where are we going to? Once, we, once we're thinking five, ten steps ahead, what's, what's the overall general purpose of us going to this particular destination with these ships? So that's kind of the chess game of it, which is vitally important. And then tactics execution. Sometimes the tactics are easier than the strategy. Then once you have these tactic plans, go, so then you have this operational plan to say, okay, now that we're executing on these tactics, how's it going? Are we doing it right? And, and are we measuring the, the success rates? How are we monitoring this execution of these tactics? And how many, how many people are we losing in war? How many acres are we gaining in growing? How many customers in India have we been able to get? It's an operational plan as opposed to a strategic or tactical plan. So now that the tactics are underway, like we're going, now, okay, like on a daily basis, we have to have sort of a timetable, a plan of execution, not just doing it, but doing it well, doing it efficiently. Sometimes people have these operational plans, sometimes they don't. Strategic goals, official goals, broad statements, describing where the organization wants to be in the future. Strategic plans, define the action steps by which the company intends to attain strategic goals. Blueprint that defines organizational activities and resources. Resource allocation tends to be long-term. Tactical goals, the results that major divisions or departments within the organization intend to achieve. Tactical plans, define what major departments and organizational subunits will do to implement the organization's strategic plan. Operational goals, this is real granular. Remember, we're just talking about goals. Results expected from departments, work groups, and individuals. Precise and measurable. Operational plans developed at lower levels. The organization to specify action plans towards achieving operational goals. The lady with the hat that puts on the class has to worry about telling people about chocolate and making sure that she is good at educating. But what the owners have to worry about is making sure that the class is profitable and making sure that it works and that it's effective. So what they, the, the person executing on a tactic, I show up, put the thing on, do the class. But the, the higher level managers have to say, okay, is the class working? How many people are coming? How much money are we making? Do we decide to keep the class or do we get rid of the class? How does it tie into our greater mission and vision? I mean, there's, there's more confusion and somewhat stress from the executive end than it would be just, I mean, what to do, I'll do it. So you can see how the tactic fits into the strategy. When you think about a planning process and, and say you're going to manufacture new chocolate, you're going to invest a million dollars into this new chocolate bar, retool the machines, get new ingredients. Don't you think you would ask the people who are potentially going to help you sell it prior to doing that? So that's kind of demonstrates the, the planning process and the way in which we solicit additional feedback to incorporate that into to our bigger plan. Do you think our customers would respond? Do you think maybe they called and solicited feedback from the, the retailers to see if they would stock the 
product before they started making it. KPIs, like what are the things that we're looking for, the key performance indicators to demonstrate to us that our plan is working. Examples of key performance indicators would be an increase in sales, a decrease in employee turnover via human resource, a key performance indicator. Increase in margin would be an operational key performance indicator. It could be a key performance indicator could be just how many new Starbucks branches have we opened up in the year 2023 so far? Okay, we've opened up 100. Our goal is to open up 200 before the end of the year. We're about halfway through the year. I think we're, we're on the on mark to, to meet our goal. So key performance indicators are smaller units of measurement that demonstrate that if you hit the KPIs, you're likely going to hit the bigger goals at the end of the day. So there's a, a little demonstration where you take a big bowl, picture this, and you put big rocks in it first, and you fill it with big rocks. Then once you fill it with big rocks, then you take little pebbles and you dump the pebbles into the bowl. Then once you're done with the pebbles, then you dump sand into the bowl. And then once you're done with sand, you put some water in the bowl. And then the person looks at the audience and says, well, what did you learn from that? The most important thing we put in first, which are the big rocks. We had to put them in first because could you imagine putting the big rocks in after the water, after the pebbles, after the sand, you wouldn't be able to fit them in there because there'd be a bunch of nonsense taking up room in your bowl. The point is the strategic goals, the big, hairy, audacious goals really go first. And then some of these smaller things like KPIs and smaller weekly goals, monthly goals, they just kind of fall in line with the bigger goal. And the biggest goal is the mission. Set goals, develop action plans, review progress, then appraise overall performance. How are we going about achieving them? Can we make the process better to achieve these goals? It's all about achieving goals. You know, I, I like planning, but it's there's some downsides to it. I'm putting pressure on you to, to perform. Some people don't do well with that. Can create a false sense of certainty. Even if we accomplish these goals, it may not get us anywhere. It may not even help us perform better. It may cause rigidity in a turbulent environment. What if things change? Or should we allow that fluidity of conversation to develop? That's goals restrict us from experiencing things that could potentially be fruitful and get in the way of intuition and creativity. So if there's too many goals, it's like, no, 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 I can't go out to lunch with you today. I got a goal. I got to make my blah, blah, blah by six o'clock tonight. And because of that, I miss out on an opportunity to develop a relationship with somebody that could maybe help me in the future. External influences, unexpected situations happen, and we have to have contingency plans. We all have a plan in boxing until we get punched in the face. Then our plan doesn't matter. You know, once you start executing, your plan doesn't mean anything. Things change. Plans get shaken up. The world is not what we expect it to be. If we all made amazing plans for our lives and we executed on our goals, then we would all be Bill Gates. I don't know. Like we, things change. So one of the things when I sold our company and I had this steady stream of income, which was amazing, and I started working for a new owner. And I knew that although I owned a portion of the organization, that I no longer could control the resources and where I was going. So I created an LLC and I started doing things. I started building in a different area. It was a contingency plan knowing that if I didn't like the new owners, if I didn't like my new boss, or I didn't like the way in which the organization was going, I had a backup plan. Prior to that, when I owned the business and 
our family was managing, I didn't have to have as much of a contingency plan. I mean, it, it was a family company. Feeling like I need to lead our household and I have two girls and another girl on the way, there's plans that need to be made. Financial plans, growth plans, career plans, space plans, all this kind of stuff. And in my mind, I got plan A, plan B, plan C. If my wife is sick this day, then I got to take care of the girls, so I should probably not make a commitment. Constantly reevaluating stuff. In an organization, we have to do the same thing. We have to say, okay, we got a plan, we got goals, we got a team, but what if Hurricane Irma? What if COVID? What if you name it? These things happen. So that's where contingency planning, scenario building, stretch goals, and crisis planning come into play. Stretch goals is a little different. Stretch goals is is something that brings people out of their comfort zone and brings people to a place that we're never going to be able to do that. That's kind of wild. But a little inkling in the back of our mind says, what if we did do that? You know, let's just tonight, let's increase our IQ by 20 points. Sounds exciting, right? I don't know. It's a stretch goal. It's something that we could maybe try to do together, but the chances of us achieving it is not great. And the, the essence behind it is if a hurricane was going to hit, they now have a, what would be called a tactical team that is aligned around hurricane preparedness team. And they all kind of get in their little committee and they might have like a Zoom meeting. They're like, okay, like you're going to do this. And IT is going to do this. And, you know, we're, we're going to close if this happens. And they don't know when the hurricane is going to come, but they know that when the threat is imminent, they have a crisis planning team. They have a way in which they're going to address that potential crisis. It's important. When, when we started growing and operationalizing and scaling our business, we formalized human resources and human resources became a hub for crisis planning and communication to our staff members. So they, they formulated, a, they got every single phone in the entire company, made sure we had all the personal emails, personal addresses. If things were to happen or God forbid somebody was going to get hurt at work, they'd have an emergency contact. Uh, if there was a shooter uh, on campus or something like that, they would be able to text people very quickly. And we even had services that we would hire to call people in case of an emergency. We had emergency crisis planning, which small businesses sometimes, <laughs> you don't have time for that. I can't go plan for crisis. You're just going to operate every day. And if bad things happen, we'll figure it out. As we get bigger and as we get more formidable, and as I grow, say, as, as a husband and a father and my responsibilities at home, and I have more kids, I better get ready because crazy stuff might happen. And I'm wise enough at this time to know, like, all right, I have one kid, I do kid, and I know, like, all right, let's get ready for this. About strategy is strategy lays mostly in the external environment. And this thing called a SWOT analysis, the threats of our industry. So SWOT analysis is strengths and weaknesses of the company. You just take the company, strengths and weaknesses. You got, he's good at storage, he's good at math, and he's good at control. What he's not good at is patience, He's not good at writing and he's not good at having conversations. Do you think that's important for him when it comes to his professional career? For him to know what am I good at? What am I not good at? What if I wanted him to write about a discussion for group three? Those are all three of those things are within patience with a three and a half year old writing. He doesn't like it and he's going to have to have conversations with three and a half year olds. When I assign him that project, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't. But what if I didn't know that? that he was bad at those things. Would I assign him that project? Or maybe as an organization, we have to know what we're good at and what we're not good at before we approach doing certain tasks or certain objectives. Because if we don't know, if we're not transparent and honest 
and humble about what we're not good at, then we'll pursue things that we probably shouldn't have pursued, but that there's people out there that can do it better. But if we know what we're good at, we leverage our strengths, which means when we, when this concept of leverage, you take something as, as minuscule as like this chair and I could push this chair back and I could leverage the chair as a tool to pick something up. It's a, it's a, it's a lever. And if I have a strength, I could, I could position my strength in a way to lift something really heavy. So just like a personal strength and a personal weakness, an organization has the same thing. So when you think about a SWOT analysis, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses as an organization? And then externally, what are the opportunities out here and what are the threats? Opportunities would be we can pursue this particular industry because we're really good at math. So we're thinking about going out there and doing a computation quiz and trying to produce revenue doing that. Uh, it's an opportunity to use our strengths to exploit our strengths externally. And then a threat could be, well, what if a competitor comes in and does this? What if a what if the politicians came in and said we couldn't operate here? What if the economy tanks? These are threats in the external environment. Strengths and weaknesses, internal. Threats and opportunities, external. When we think strategically, we have to look at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And then we can think. It's just a way of like, okay, thinking about how do we use our strengths? How do we acknowledge our weaknesses? And what do we do about it strategically? So the whole point of that is about diversification, is when we look at these portfolio businesses and hedge funds, and if you are into investments, you might understand what a mutual fund is, is it takes a conglomerate of, say, like 300 companies. Instead of investing in one stock, they invest in 300 stocks. And they don't invest in 300 stocks of the same industry, same companies, same growth rates. I mean, they have a strategy to manage the fund, but they diversify. And they diversify with intent. And they, they, they adjust some of the, the ways in which they diversify so that we're not putting, say, all of our eggs in one basket, but we're strategically funneling things into what we see future potential in. And you'll hear these Porter's five forces a lot. There's five forces working against the company. This is an industry-level force. One is threat of substitute products. So let's use a cleaning business as an example, a janitorial residential cleaning business. Threat of substitute products. Are there a lot of ways in which people can clean their house? Roombas, they can do it themselves. There's not a ton of different ways you clean the house. You think about bargaining power of suppliers, the people who provide the mops and the cleaning detergent. Do they control that pricing? They do. You, you can't really tell them what you're going to pay for their cleaning product. You don't have a lot of negotiating power. Whereas if you look at the iTunes example like we talked about before, and then the artists, the artists have some power as to how they're going to deal with iTunes and what they're going to price their stuff at. Versus iTunes also has power. So there's a little bit more of a sharing of power between those two people. And then the consumers don't really have much of a choice. Bargaining power of buyers. I'll use a different example for this one. Uh, we're in the landscaping business. And I go there and I quote somebody, it's going to be $150 a month to cut this grass. They can tell me, well, I don't want to pay $150. I want to pay 125. Do they have power in that conversation? They do. They have a little bit of power. It's, they have high power there. Versus $900 to take a class. Can I go to them and say, well, I don't really want to pay $900. I can't really do that. Like, this is the price of the class. This is how much the class costs. There's not a lot of room for negotiating. And you know, maybe you can, maybe you can try to, but the point is that the buyer doesn't have a lot of power. The last one is potential new entrants. These are 
Are there high barriers to entry or are there low barriers to entry? You think about the cleaning business again. Anybody with a mop can be a cleaner, right? Very low barriers to entry. Versus if you think about the um, Florida Power and Light, the electrical distribution system in Florida. Pretty high barriers to entry in that one. And actually, I mean, people are breaking into it. Like private solar providers, they're breaking into it. But the reality is you're going to have to have a lot of knowledge and investment before you get into this industry. So th these are Porter's Five Forces, and all of it creates rivalry among competitors. If there's a, if every single one of these is, is high, then you're going to have a lot of rivalry. But if some of these are low, you're going to have less rivalry. Less rivalry is more attractive. That's the essence of Porter's Five Forces.